Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transaction and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transaction that has hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This roundup is the created shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by Nick and Marika, who work in the Sustainable Corporate Solutions team across the Asia-Pacific. Hi, Nick, and welcome to the, to the podcast and this episode. What are the headlines and the numbers that happened over the last month What you would like to share? Thanks, Marika, and good afternoon, good evening, good morning to our global listeners. It's good to be back. The year is racing past well into Q2 now. Lots of interesting news, as we always say. The smorgasbord continues. It never gets shorter. It gets longer. We need to do more podcasts to keep up with what's happening in the market. But a few bits and pieces of interesting things that have really jumped out as more scene-setting, contextual items for the whole sustainable finance market. As you mentioned, Marika, the CBI, the Climate Bond Initiative, our friends there, excellent, excellent organization that do great reports, came out with their 2021 uh, full-year review. So I would encourage anyone looking at these markets, if you haven't already, to have a good look at that. Basically, without going into the numbers in detail, we'll let the report speak for itself. Really a record year, over a trillion dollars of different types of label transactions done. Green continues to anchor the market. SLBs, linked bonds continue to be the fastest growing aspect of the market. Social and sustainability stabilised. A lot of social issuance from uh, multilateral banks, corporates and, and FI still very active users. And it's good to see ongoing diversification of sovereigns, of corporates, of FIs, of geographies. So a really, really solid year, but we'll let that report speak for itself because it's very detailed and goes into lots of different aspects there. A few other things that grab my eye. Environmental finance, another excellent resource for market deals and conversations. Basically, the, the green bond market, they put there, had grown a hundredfold in the last 10 years. So whatever way we look at this market, it's rapid growth, it's robust growth, it's positive ongoing diversification across a whole lot of factors, which is really, really good to see. So it's pretty scary. Well, not scary, but it's good to see a hundredfold increases pretty darn large. A couple of interesting reports that came out, IPCC, we won't go into looking at these again. They're very sobering reports. They're excellent reports. We're not moving fast enough. We're not financing the shift fast enough. That's basically the way the science becomes clearer. That's basically the tone of a lot of those reports, but we would encourage anyone to have a look at those if they want to get into any uh, specifics about really the contextual piece and the urgency that is surrounding sustainable finance and why we all need to be doing more and really why we do the podcast. We want to spark ideas for transactions and deals and funding to really shift a lot of things to the low carbon economy and, and really deliver on that transition that we all uh, want to and need to see. IFC had a great report come out on a step-by-step -step guide to, to issuing green bonds, so check that out. A number of articles, Marika and, and listeners, about Ukraine and the conflict there and the relationship to sustainable finance, so check out those articles. Whilst there's never any silver lining, good lining to any sort of conflicts, I think we will hopefully see a couple of things from that, namely an acceleration of renewables deployment across Europe, and hopefully that sparks more renewables across the world. 
particularly in Europe, and also elements of refugee financing we're starting to see. And in our next podcast, we'll talk about some information that ICMA's released to the market um, wanting to support social bonds, social loans connected to needs of refugees or people being refugeed by some of these uh, conflicts. So hopefully some of these conflicts at least establish and mainstream some of these other types of structures that can be done, but there really is no great silver lining to that. Let's see, hopefully a rapid scale-up of, uh, of renewables, which would be really good. Ongoing talk about fintech and climate tech, um, lots of hopefully future unicorns connected to sustainability. That's great to see. Be interesting to see if we see green sort of aspects of equity grow. We've seen some different types of designations more in the Nordics through NASDAQ for those, but lots of different types of technology plays um, coming up. It means that sustainability is really getting integrated. And that whole enabling piece about IT, telcos, we see that a lot um, in issuance sort of volumes as well. A lot of ongoing articles about just transition and a newer concept that I've seen, just adaptation. So as we know, mitigation, transition, getting to a low carbon economy, what we're doing to the environment around mitigation, but what the environment and climate change is doing to us um, and economies around adaptation and having a just adaptation. A lot of developed countries have caused a lot of issues. A lot of poorer countries haven't contributed to the issues, but they're actually, unfortunately, the first to be more susceptible to those. So really interesting to see. And the reason we, we mentioned that is because there'll hopefully be some more evolving mainstreaming use of proceeds, KPIs connected to sustainable finance that tap into some of these issues. You know, these issues are pretty deep. They're pretty detailed. How do you task a corporate to deliver more on those? How do we task some sovereigns to have in their financing some elements of the tap into these concepts. Let's see. Hopefully some funding can can go towards that. Um, social taxonomy, there's been a few articles about that from the EU. We know that EU taxonomy is always topical. The social aspect of that, there's a bit of a talk as to whether that's going to be useful or not. I think it's a good project to have and progress because there really isn't enough references for social in the market. Green, there's lots of references. Social is a bit more, is, is a bit harder in nature to sort of define and it's we do a lot of work on that. So let's see how that um, how that progresses. Um, EU GBS Green Bond Standard, you know, talk about that, how strict it is, when it'll come out. So lots of different articles really over the the month. The flavour of the rest of the articles, data centres, as I mentioned before, that whole enabling piece, that IT piece, that fintech piece is really interesting because a lot of those companies are seeking funding. Financed emissions. If you're um, a listener and working at a bank, I'm sure you're hearing more and more about this. So lots of uh, further reports coming out about how banks are approaching that. So financed emissions is really the scope three emissions or what the banks uh, have in terms of their own customers and their borrowers and what emissions those borrowers have. So hopefully we see some SLBs at some stage connected to banks and their funding plans connected to the underlying decarbonisation of their loan books. So one to look out for, we'll see who jumps into that. Some articles about ESG and derivatives. Um, if you want to check out the latest sort of news on that, ISDA, who's one of the main organizations that document a lot of derivative documentation in their latest quarterly magazine, had a bit of a four or five page spread on ESG and derivatives. Check that out because it's a pretty topical area. And um, just to finish off, Marika on the on the news smorgasbord, as we say, um, a couple of really good webinars and pieces produced by Climate Bonds in terms of 
what's happening in China, green bond market, and then also a chemicals piece or a proposed set of use of proceeds for a harder to abate sector such as chemicals, an excellent read and probably the go-to read in terms of sustainable finance for, for chemicals as they launch that public consultation. So certainly lots of news happening. So what about, Marika, back to you maybe to have um, highlight a couple of things you've noted over the month in relation to SLBs, the, the hottest sort of part of sustainable finance. Thanks, Nick. And thanks for this really comprehensive overview of what's happening and what has been happening in the market over the last months. There's a lot of reading to catch up. And I found the finance demission piece that you pointed out really interesting. I think this would be really good for banks to see more banks coming on that front. But yeah, on the S&P side, let's start with a very well-known name where everyone is probably familiar with. It's the Italian energy infrastructure firm, Enel because they have tapped the market already several times with their sustainable finance instruments. What they have done this time is they went into the sterling market with a 750 million um, seven-year transaction, SLB. And this is to be believed the largest sterling denominated bond of this type of issue to date. So an interesting one to check out. Enel has established their framework. I think if I'm not wrong, it was in 2020. And the sterling one is using one KPI out of that um, framework, which is on direct greenhouse gas emissions um, on scope one with the target to achieve an equal or less than 140 gram of CO2 equivalent per kilowatt hour in 2024. So these types um, of KPIs we see quite often in utilities. So a good example here is Enel. And moving to another interesting piece from France, here we have Bernot Ricard. Oh, Bernot Ricard, yeah. Now I know what you always mean, Nick, when you say it's hard to pronounce these names. Basically, it's a wine company from France, and they had as KPIs, the um, first one was on scope one and scope two emissions, THT emissions, uh, reduction in scope three THT emissions intensity per unit of value added. And the third one was on a reduction on water consumption per unit produced at the distilleries. So this one is really, really good to see because the, the, the KPI on the water is a good example and it's great to see that companies are also venturing out into that field a bit more away from the usual uh, carbon stuff. Sustainalytics has done the SPO on that one and the KPIs and targets were all rated strong on or ambitious or better, better than that. On the real estate side, there was Escort Residence Trust. They have issued a 200 million sustainability linked bond, making it the first Singapore listed real estate trust and the first hospitality trust globally to issue such a bond. So what have they done? They have targeted greening of their total portfolio by 50% by the end of 25. So these properties, they must achieve a regional, national or internationally recognized green building standard or certification by any of these well-known and recognized third parties until the observation date. That was the SPT. Staying in Singapore, there was also Singtel. They priced a 100 million five-year transaction. And what was interesting about that was it was this digital sustainability-linked bond. So what does that mean? The entire bond will be tokenized on digital securities um, exchange, in this case, ADDX. And that means that these bonds are issued on blockchain and leverage smart contract technology and things like that to eliminate the manual processes throughout the lifecycle of a security. Then I would also like to highlight one um, transaction in the fast food sector, 
because I think it's interesting to see transaction out of that area. Um, so McDonald's, their biggest franchisee, the, the company is called Arcos Dorados Holdings. They are planning an SLB with targets about reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 36% from all the restaurants they have and the offices. And they want to reduce emissions by 31% in their supply chain. The targets run until 2030 and will be interesting to see how this one is working out. Then another example which gave us some thoughts is John Deere. Probably everybody knows that name. They came up with an SLB on targets to reduce absolute scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions. But what we were missing in that transaction was scope three emissions because that industry could influence their value chain on, on scope three. So it would be great if they would have attempted also, also the scope three with their KPIs. And then on the private equity side, I would like to highlight one example because it's aligned with SPTI targets. This is JEB. It's a Luxembourg-based private equity firm, and they have done a 500 million sustainability-linked bond tied to three KPIs. So one was reduction of scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions, and then the other one was representing a percentage of women on their board. But the KPI, which I would like to highlight, is the second KPI, where they said they want to have at least 95 percent of the group's investment portfolio companies set SBTI-approved greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets by 2030. So as you probably have heard already in one of our previous podcasts, Nick was talking about this SBTI alignment for um, private equity firms. So do check that one out. JAB is an example where they are using it. Sustainalytics also did DSPO for that. And uh, KPIs and targets were, I think, strong or highly, highly ambitious on these. So I think I have talked enough about SLBs. Nick, can you give us a, a quick roundup um, on the SLL side and which transactions you, you found of interest? Sure. Thanks, um, thanks Marika. Really good to see some different types of industries coming to market, different types of transactions. It's never a dull moment in the linked world of sustainable finance. So if we look at the loan side, and as we know, the loans, the link loans were, you know, 400, um, 400 billion plus last year. So there's massive momentum and still growing very strongly right throughout globally and especially APAC as well. So just a couple of things to highlight. Lackmores, um, an excellent company based in Australia, do lots of good vitamins. Check those out. Uh, stay nice and uh, nice and healthy. Came out with a linked um, loan working with some banks down under, shall we say, connected to GHG emissions and also Scope 3 so, and some things through the supply chain as well. So check that one out and good to see those type of companies coming to market. Um, aluminium, I'm not even going to try and say, well, I'm going to try and say this, but it's a tricky one. Not as good as your Spanish before, Marika, which is very impressive. Hydro, Alenort, um, $200 million um, SLL financing some some fuel switching. And as we know, aluminium, very dependent in terms of GHGs on the type of electricity they use because it's a very electricity intensive process. Leverage loans, as Marika just mentioned and told us more about some of the, the linked bond side, we're also seeing that on the linked loan side for PEs, whether that's at sponsor level, at fund level, or whether it's at investee level, lots of different ways to do that. And it's good to see that these private sponsored players, funders are really integrating ESG, sustainability, linked aspects of their financing as well. What else have we got here? Ocean 
uh, Oceaneering, about a $200-plus million um, SLL, which was done. Couldn't actually see what the KPIs were connected to that, but good to see some different types of uh, companies coming to market on the services type of, or you could say, enabling sort of sector. Jumping to Indonesia, really good to see some developments there. It kind of hasn't sort of popped yet, shall we say, in terms of the linked link side of things. We've seen some user proceeds instruments throughout Indonesia. It's a great market. We saw DBS working with Vendika Energy. Haven't quite found um, all of the individual specifics KPIs there. Good to see Indonesia picking up what it's doing in terms of link loans. Sunrise, which was a fragrance, God, I can't even say that, fragrance and flavors firm. And again, these type of ingredients companies, um, F&B, whether that's at the branded side, whether it's the agri side or whether it's sort of in the middle um, somewhere, really good to see focusing on GHGs, but we didn't have full information on exact scopes of that one. Changing gears a little bit, semiconductors. CR Micro did about a, a honky 1 billion SLL, China Resources Microelectronics, I think is the full name, looking at GHGs, energy efficiency, and some various, shouldn't say ingredients, but aspects of their material usage in their production. So again, like what I said before, this whole theme of enabling underlying things that can support us um, and that we need coming to uh, coming to market um, and lots of different types of industries. Wilmar, again, has been a very active participant, Wilmar being a, a significant palm oil producer. And as we know, there's lots of different news surrounding palm oil. We won't get all into that today, but just to illustrate agri palm oil companies doing different things. Um, and they did an SLL, which was connected, I believe, to uh, the Dow Jones Index and obviously different ways to tie indexes, tie certifications into sustainability-linked transactions. So, yeah, big, uh, big month overall. Thanks, Nick. Let's stay, let's stay in, the tricky, in the tricky industries because I just checked which listener questions we have for this month. And there are basically two. And the first one is around nuclear which I think there are a lot of debates going on, um, as you probably have seen in Europe, and whether nuclear, which color it can be called, etc. So if you could give us a bit of background, what our view is on, on nuclear, or um, what you generally think think about it, that because I think there's a lot going on on, on, on that topic at the moment. Yeah, thanks. It's a, it's a tricky but a great question. So I'd say a couple of things. So previously... We wouldn't really have looked at nuclear at all connected to sustainable finance. We've recently rethought our position and we're still finalizing aspects of this, but we're happy to, to look. Doesn't mean everything will get approved. Doesn't mean it's carte blanche for any nuclear company we're prepared to sign off on. But a couple of things that are coloring our thinking as we seek to, to formalize what we're prepared to look at and not, but we're definitely keen to have conversations with different types of nuclear energy companies. The first thing would be really what is the cornerstones of our thinking at the moment is that, you know, nuclear, there's no doubt it's low carbon, but it's all about the do no significant harm, the waste and all those other things and the accidents. And it's a very emotive issue. And we all remember different types of accidents from different parts of the world. But there's no doubt that it's low carbon. So our thinking is around continuing to support nuclear that exists, not new expansion, and purely use of proceeds on a transition basis for maintenance and refurbishments of near end of life assets, existing assets 
not expansion and certainly not new. That's kind of our the cornerstone of our thinking. And then all of the aspects of the do no significant harm would really have to be covered in a lot more detail. We always address those things as part of our SPO or second party opinion approach. When we're looking at sensitive issues um, like nuclear, that will be done in a much more detailed way. What's the regulation for that country? How strict is it? How's the waste um, handled? How strict is that? What's the track record of the company? So I'd say the bar's going to be pretty darn high. I say sometimes to my team here, it's a triple pike off the 10-metre diving board rather than a simple dive off the one-metre diving board, but we're happy to have those discussions and those would be the aspects or cornerstones of our thinking at this point in time. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes along on the EU side of things as more of that gets formalised. But that's our sort of latest thinking, Marika. So a a challenging area, um, but the door more open to what it has been in the past in a very selective way. Thanks, Nick. That was really helpful. The second question basically is around the mining sector. So how's our view on that? What can mining companies do in terms of activities? Which type of sustainable finance instrument would it be? I mean, we're seeing more and more mining companies in particular also from Australia, which is our region, coming up and doing a transaction in that field. So if you can just share a bit of background on, on that topic, that would also be useful. Yeah, sure. Another another super good question, albeit a bit tricky. So I'll try and do justice to that. Both of these topics probably, and, and as well as palm oil we mentioned before and some of the other topical types of types of issues that we come across, they, they probably warrant podcasts in their own right. So an hour's discussion on each, but I'll give the two or three minute version. So mining is something that we've been thinking really closely about. And I think the rationale for that is, and the reason why we've seen more mining companies wanting to come to market, we've worked with South 32, um, Fortescue's come to market, Newmont Gold has done an SLB. So we're seeing lots of mining companies explore this aspect. There's no doubt that mining companies are very active. The thing that we look at, I guess, in terms of the the cornerstone or the start of our thinking for that is we're going to need a lot of these different types of commodities and metals to get to, to hit to, to transform, to transition to a low-carbon economy. So we need to widen the scope of sustainable finance and include these challenging industries to make sure we can hit the goals and get the funding to where it needs to go because we need aluminium. We need cobalt. We need lithium. There's not a whole lot of substitutes for some of these things at the moment. So that's the first thing we look at. We're happy to entertain discussions around mining, similar to nuclear or maybe not quite as challenging. The bar will be pretty high in terms of what we're prepared to look at. But I think the first thing is, you know, do we need that commodity? So something like coal, something like fossil fuels, something like gas, is sort of not something we'll generally look at, or at least the the oil part and at least the coal part. So we have a look at what type of metal is it, what type of commodity is it, is that needed to get to and to achieve rapid decarbonisation globally? Once we know that something is really needed, we'll then look at probably pretty traditional types of use of proceeds. So what I mean by that is energy efficiency, renewable energy, electrification of fleets, move away from diesel. Those type of, I'd say, pretty much traditional types of use of proceeds being applied to quite a challenging industry. We're also prepared to look at social aspects. There's obviously mining happens in a lot of different types of communities. So we'll look at the social aspects. And then some of the more challenging areas like biodiversity. uh, But we do want to see 
you know, what social, what environmental due diligence was done to make sure that when we look at this, it's not at a company level, it's actually at a mine level. So we're prepared to have conversations about specific assets. So we want to know what the use of proceeds are. We'll take a use of proceeds approach, even though we could look at at linked as well. Uh, But we've really developed a lot of our thinking around use of proceeds to apply to mining more traditional types of those use of proceeds applied to metals and commodities that we need. The other thing to, to bear in mind, again, it's not at company level. It really is very specific at mine level, making sure the use of proceeds work, making sure there's not too many controversies associated with with a particular mine. Uh, in mining, there's a lot more um, susceptibility to lots of different controversies, which you always check and, and address. The ENS due diligence, decommissioning plans, all those things we want to have a good idea, risk management's been put in place. And for those aware of our second party opinions, we'll know that a section within our second party opinions always addresses the risk management issues, uh, the strategy issues, the commitment issues, how risks are dealt with. So that will be a beefier and slightly spicier section for a mining company to really address and flesh out how a company addresses a lot of these difficult issues. But a lot of the mining companies are doing a lot and making some pretty rapid process. The other thing too, we'll apply and do a climate transition finance handbook, which ICMA released a year and a half maybe even two years back now, we'll include that assessment type of assessment in our SPO. So hopefully that addresses some of the cornerstone sort of thinking about mining, but we're more than happy to have those conversations and talk about and work through uh, the type of things that I mentioned in my rather long answer. So hopefully that addresses for our listener or listeners a bit of a flavor about that. But as I say, it's probably a topic for a podcast in and itself. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, that was that was a very good long, long answer. Let's see if there are more listener questions coming in, then we, we probably can do in a, a separate section on it in our next podcast. So let's see. Okay. And then switching gears back to green bonds. Um, Marika, what's jumped out? Any any major transactions that you've noticed um, as dynamic as, as the link side? Interesting things happening? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, on the green side, let me highlight a few, um, starting with the SSA market. Here, for example, the Philippines, they have raised um, 70 billion Japanese yen transaction, which is the first sustainable bond transaction in the Japanese yen market. So we normally call that samurai bond. So what a samurai bond is, is if it's um, issued in Japan by foreign companies, in that case, the Philippines, it's then nominated in yen and subject to Japanese regulations. So good to see some diversification here. Then on the European side in the SSA sector, there was the EU itself, who has raised six, 6 billion euro denominated um, from its second green bond. And I mean that the order book was in excess of 78 billion. It always blows my mind how big these SSA order books are um, because the numbers are so large. But basically what the EU did in terms of their use of proceeds was a lot of stuff, including terrestrial, aquatic biodiversity conversation, sustainable water management, sustainable management of living natural resources and, and so on. Um, we did the SPO for it, but I've stopped here um, counting the use of proceeds because they had so many in there, but just to give you a flavor. Interesting also was a city which was active. So in that case, that was LA, Los Angeles. They have raised 98 million uh, from a green bond and the money is used for sustainable water management, pollution prevention and control. 
In the banking sector, worth to highlight is IDP, the Inter-American Development Bank. They have raised a billion from a three-year sustainability bond, attracting the largest order book for a bond from the multilateral development bank to date. So also interesting transaction on, on that end. Now moving a bit more into the different industries. On the logistics side, there's the Belgian logistics property firm uh, WDP. They have raised a 500 million private placement. So they did an upsized private placement, green bond in the US uh, with 10 years uh, maturity. And uh, the interesting of this transaction was, given it was in the, in, the, in the private placement format, they first targeted a much smaller size, but given to this huge demand, they upsized it to 500 million. So that's quite a big, big PP, I would say. Then in the property sector, oh, we have seen a lot of companies in the property sector. There was the Polish property investor, DL Invest. Then there was Investec, there was Kaiser, Vonovia, Chixo Invest. So they all were busy and they all were active, which is good, but I'm not going into, into any, uh, any detail of all these transactions. Um, but do check them out if you're interested. And then what's worth highlighting, um, because we just talked about it and um, there was just a question on it, um, was in the mining sector. So there was the iron and ore company Fortescue Metals, the Australian company. They did a 1.5 billion bond for environmental related activities. So what are the proceeds being used? They will finance or refinance new or existing green projects, which are including renewable energy, energy efficiency, storage, clean sea and coastal freight transport. And that's you can all check that out in the in the framework, in the sustainability financing framework from, from Fortescue if you're interested. On the telco side, just quickly touch basing on there was Swedish company Telia. They raised a 500 million bond. And then on the nuclear side, um, because we also just talked about that, I want to highlight this one. There was CNNC. So that's the China National Nuclear Corporation. They completed a public issuance of their carbon neutrality green bond as they claim this bond's name. So check out this transaction in, in detail in case. And then last but not least, um, in the green bond segment, there was the food processing conglomerate ADM, uh, who plans to issue their first sustainability bond. That's on the agri side. So that's always interesting. And I like to highlight these transactions. ADM is one of the largest agricultural companies in the world. They have revenues more than 85 billion. So interesting to see that they, that they are moving more on the sustainable side with this transaction. So, Nick, on the green loan side, anything you would like to highlight for our listeners? Yeah, thanks, Rick. A couple of things. A little bit similar in terms of some of the themes we've really picked up in the podcast already. Iberola, a European-based uh, renewables um, company, um, did a green loan for some uh, some hydrogen um, assets and, and projects they're doing, some more renewables their side as well. Um, Enel, which I think you mentioned already, Marika, in an earlier part of the podcast, have really tested all types of formats, green, linked and transition and, and otherwise, went to market again in um, LATAM for some projects there. As you also mentioned, Marika, property is a mainstay of these markets. Morgan Stanley, real estate, 
property fund um, in Japan, which we actually worked on. Um, we've got a thriving business in Japan for Sustainalytics. We worked on that one. And then data centers, as we mentioned before, that IT enabling telco pieces keeps keeps recurring and coming up. And the ING did a loan with Arc data centers, presumably around GHGs and efficiencies and, and those type of things that are important for data centers. So yeah, some interesting transactions on that side. What about Marika flipping the or changing gear slightly to the social bonds slash social loans? Anything that's jumped out in particular from what you've seen over the recent period? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, on the social bond side, I would only like to highlight a couple of these transactions, although I always like to see social bond activity. But the one I really liked and which is a great, great transaction, I think, is from the Council of Europe Development Bank, so in short, CEB. They issued the first um, social bond targeting uh, Ukraine refugees and helping on the crisis there. So they have issued a seven-year, one billion euro denominated, they called it social inclusion bond, to fund the response to the Ukraine refugees crisis. So what that means is they disperse the use of proceeds to countries which are taking in a large numbers of refugees. So I I really like that transaction and hopefully um, there will come more. Then elsewhere in the world, we have seen in the US some activity. There was Minnesota Housing Finance Agency. They raised 150 million social bond and um, in the affordable housing uh, area. And then on the vehicle side, there was auto acceptance. They published a framework. And it's a Texas-based company for everyone who hasn't hasn't heard the name. And what they are planning to fund is access to essential services and socioeconomic advancement. So, but Nick, to finish off this month's podcast, would you like to give us an overview about any other um, labeled products or like in the transition space, or if you have seen anything else which you basically find interesting and which you would like to highlight at the end, please, please do so. Thanks for uh, for sure. So on the label product side, I'd say it's been similar to what we've seen before. Green loans for EVs, more securitization supply picking up in places like other US, so more structured deals. I guess maybe that's not a specific product or, or necessarily new, but more of the same. Citibank has launched um, some more sustainable um, trade, working capital types of products. So we see that the whole supply chain piece um, financing connected to that is really starting to to heat up and hopefully we'll see more trends around that and, and mainstreaming of sustainable finance connected to, to trade flows as well. And then some green mortgages, I think this time in, in Ireland, PTSB doing some products there. In terms of transition, nothing really specific in terms of individual transactions, but just a lot of talk. There's been quite a bit of talk in South Africa about transition bonds and what needs to happen there, particularly in the energy sector. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, just transition and getting the right balance of who funds who and who covers who and how developed markets support developing nations. More talk about those type of themes. A lot of talk about India as a, as a market and needing to, to transition and, and India, like a number of other markets, have made some pretty big commitments to, to net zero over coming um, future, future decades. So we'll see what happens there. Johnson Matthew uh, also did a loan for some hydrogen in the, the UK. Again, not necessarily labelled as transition, but it shows that this whole hydrogen piece is growing um, and is going to be connected to a number of decarbonisation themes, specifically for transport and, and industry as well. So I thought I'd flag that 
And then a little bit of conversations and articles around uh, shipping and the Poseidon principles and just re-highlighting that those principles can be used as a good basis to structure sustainable finance transactions. Um, Last but not least, in terms of countries and regulation, just a couple of things to mention. More kind of geographic themes that are coming up, the Middle East um, or the GCC um, nations talking more about obviously very um, fossil fuel dependent economies, different types of things they're doing there and how they can produce more renewables and more hydrogen. Uh, Vietnam certainly heating up. Africa, I mentioned before, the Nordics continue to lead the way on lots of different aspects of sustainable finance. So more just to highlight that, we should just highlight some of the more emerging nations, but the countries and and geographic regions doing particularly well. Uh, Philippines as well, close to where we're based here in in Singapore, lots of, of articles about what's happening there, green investments and the government's been quite progressive. India, I mentioned before, again, close to us here in Singapore, lots of articles um, hopefully India progresses with their green bond pretty soon. LATAM, again, a whole collection somewhat similar to, to Asia in terms of different markets, different economies, commodities-based, resource-based. So lots of talk about you know energy transition um, there. And the final one was a bit more talk about mandatory climate disclosures for Canadian banks and insurers. So again, Canada, a pretty progressive market on this. The US, there's been a lot of articles recently about the consultation that or um, public consultation that the SEC has put out for the US-based companies about disclosure of scope one, two, three emissions and, and the big change that that's going to have. And, and I guess um, Canada being probably more progressive, smaller economy, Lots of different things about mandatory climate disclosures and, and really turning the screws a bit more on the banks to disclose more as well as uh, insurers. So, um, yeah, all in all, some more of the same um, and just progressive diversification we see. And we like to just highlight those different geographies. So hopefully the, the listeners and the people sitting at banks or, or, or corporates listening to the podcast know that they're not moving alone in some of these newer, rapidly growing Uh, economies where sustainable finance is a little bit new. So hopefully we can see a bit more in those markets. Thanks, Nick. All right, folks, that's all about the time we have for this episode. It was very insightful again today, as as always. So thanks a lot, Nick, for for sharing all those useful things and, and readings. So all the links to the article and reports, if you're interested, they can be found on our website. And also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and please also keep the these good questions um, coming as always and thanks again for tuning in and see you next time bye bye see you next time